The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning, I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 37. You may recall that two weeks ago, the last time I stood before you, that we started a series uh, on the life of Joseph. And the title of this series, I would call it, is How Big is your God. How big is your God? Now, I know God is big. He's as big as he is, regardless of how big we think he is, okay? <laughs> he's, he's, our thinking about God doesn't change God, but our thinking about God can change us. How big is your God? What problems do you have in life? What problems are you facing today and tomorrow and into next week? What problems do you have in your social life? What problems do you have in your church life? What problems do you have in your work life? What problems do you have with the sin that does so easily beset you? How big is your God when it comes to those problems? You see, how big our God is will make a difference in how positive or negative our outlook is. How big our God is will make a difference in how we approach the problems of life. If your God is not big enough to handle the problems of life, then you're going to have trouble in life. You're going to be anxious. You're going to be full of care and worry. If your God is not big enough to deal with your marital situation or with your home life or with your church problems or with your work problems or with your social issues, you're going to have trouble because you're going to try to do a lot of it on your own. The story of Joseph is a story of a obedient child trying to serve the Lord coming up against wicked men and wicked situations and wicked decisions made by those men and God being big enough to providentially overrule them and to take care of his child see it's not the story of God orchestrating the sins of men and working them together for the good of Joseph in some sort of fixed unalterable play in which Joseph is just a puppet but rather it is the story of God having a purpose for Joseph's life and providentially overruling the obstacles thrown up by Satan and by sinful men. And it is taking Joseph and showing us how God can protect us because you know what? He's a big God. He's a big God, okay? How big is your God? You know, that's a good question to ask ourselves at this point. Just because we don't believe in the absolute predestination of all things doesn't mean we don't believe in divine providence. We do. Because see, our God is big enough. Our God is big enough, brother buddy, not to have to predestinate everything. <laughs> you know, he predestinates us to be conformed to the image of his son. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of, of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God took care of our eternal salvation. He took care of our eternal redemption. You can lay money on it. If you're a betting person, you can bet on God every time and you'll win every time. He's going to get us to heaven. But what God doesn't do, what predestination is not, is not God unalterably fixing the things that happen in life. Predestination has nothing to do with what happens here, okay, in this life. Providence does, though. God's providence means that God is big enough to overrule 
the sins of men and to take care of his children who are trying to serve him. See, God had a purpose for Joseph and he's got a purpose for you, beloved. <laughs> Just before we go any farther, keep your finger in Genesis um, chapter 37, but turn with me over to Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29 is a verse that the world uses a lot and they, I, I think they might get a little bit of it right, but, uh, but in chapter 29, in verse 11, listen to what God says to Jeremiah. He says, for, and he's talking to the children of Israel. And I want to give you the context in a minute. But listen to this. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now, now what this is saying here is when he's talking about his thoughts, that that. That word carries the implication of devices or plans or purposes, okay? I know the thoughts I've got toward you. I know what kind of plans I've got for you. It's not some kind of unalterable fixed plan that involves my predestination, but I know, I know what, I, what I want for your life. And he said, because of that, he said, by the way, there are thoughts of peace. There's thoughts of peace, not evil. They're good thoughts toward us. When he looks at you and thinks of us, sometimes I think that he's looking at me like a righteous, a righteous judge that ought to cast me out of his presence. And you know what? In my flesh, that's the way it is. But the truth is, when he looks at you and I as his children through the blood of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has thoughts and, and plans and purposes for us that involve peace. And he says... To give you an expected end. That word expected there has to do with a hopeful expectation. The things that God has for us are peaceful things. They're positive things. They're hopeful things. They're things that we ought to want for ourselves. Now, by the way, not to get too far afield this morning. Do you know who he's talking to here? He's talking to Jeremiah, who is talking to the children of Israel who have been carried captive into Babylon. And he says to them, build houses, dwell in them, plant gardens, take wives, have children. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it here in verse 7. Seek the peace of the city whither I have caused you to be carried away captives and pray unto the Lord for it. For, the peace thereof, for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. In other words... I know you've been taken from your homes and you've been transported to a land that's a pagan land, a land that is totally different from anything that you've been raised to know about or to understand. But he said, live there and, and, and dwell there and have families there. Don't pine away because guess what? In verse 10, he says, in 70 years, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. In other words, I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you and your people. And, and by the way, it might not just involve you because there's a lot of people who are living right now, Jeremiah, that'll be dead in 70 years. The 70-year-olds that were carried captive probably won't live to be 140. <laughs> and, and they won't be the ones to see it, but you serve me nonetheless where you are and there will be blessings to come. You know why? Because I'm a God that's bigger than the span of your lifetime. I'm a God that's bigger than what you can see around you. And what you think about in your plans. Or even what you can do in the sum total of your life. I'm a big God, you see. So, it's a good question to ask ourselves. 
How big is our God? Now back to our story in Genesis chapter 37. The story opens with Joseph. It says in verse 1 and 2, Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Now, really, the generations of Jacob turn out to be a story about Joseph. <laughs> so we're going to see that as we keep reading. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. That's kind of an inauspicious beginning for someone who we know is going to end up being the prime minister of Egypt, right? A 17-year-old boy feeding the flock with his brothers. And by the way, he's the next to the youngest of all these kids. He's, he's way down there in the list. One of the younger brothers. He's not even the older brother. He's, the, he's the, almost the baby, if you will, except for Benjamin. Joseph? What's your plans? What Does God have a purpose for me? Does God have a purpose for me? Does he have a purpose for my life? Again, we're not talking about him having some unalterable fixed plan that you can't veer away from and that sort of thing. You've got to be obedient in order for God's purposes in your life to be fully realized. But you say, Joseph, okay, does God have a purpose for your life? 17 years old, young man, out there keeping his father's flocks with his brothers. Joseph, what's your answer? Answer is, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no, what do you think you'll be doing in 20 years, Joseph? I'll probably be right here. Probably be feeding, maybe I'll be in charge by then. <laughs> maybe my brothers will have their own flocks. I might actually have a flock of my own by then. See, the story opens very inauspiciously with, with Joseph, just a boy out there working on the family farm and the family business. But as I said last time, we know this. Joseph doesn't know this. Remember, Joseph doesn't know what we know. What we know is, is that the roller coaster of his life is about to begin. He's, he's standing in the line, so to speak, right now. And he has no idea what's about to happen to him. Far as he knows, this day is just like tomorrow. Tomorrow is just going to be like this day. The next day after that, it's going to be over and over the same thing. But what he's about to do, he's about to go from favorite son to betrayed brother to accused rapist to forgotten prisoner and ultimately to prime minister. Boy, that's a, I get whiplash just thinking about it. up and down there. Here he goes, you see. There's another verse I want you to turn and look with me to see in Proverbs chapter, chapter 3. Again, keep your finger here because we're going to come right back. But the overriding principle of God's providential guidance for his obedient children is found here in Proverbs chapter 3. And beginning in verse 5. Listen to this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. I love doing a word study on that word direct, brother buddy. It means, it means to make it straight. <laughs> it means to, almost like you take a bulldozer and you cut through everything. He'll make it straight, you know? You think about Abraham, 
or Abram at the time, when Abram and Lot and their people had problems, Abram could have said, boy, I'm in charge here. You get over yonder, I'm going to take this. But Abram just said, you know what? I'm going to trust the Lord with all my heart. I'm not going to lean to my understanding. That's going to be left up to Lot. And I'm going to let Lot choose the way to go. And Lot leaned on his own understanding and pitched his tent towards Sodom. And you know the ending there. Abraham, on the other hand, he said, Lord, I'll go where you take me. I'll trust you to lead me. And I'll be obedient in the process. And guess what? The Lord directed his paths. He took him where he needed to be. That's the overriding principle of God's providence. And our response to that, by the way, ought to be the response Paul gave on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, where after encountering Christ, and after being born again and encountering Christ, he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? See, that's how we respond. Lord, guide me. I mean, yeah, we can make plans. I make plans all the time. I'm sure you do. But I always ask the Lord, Lord, guide me in what I need to be doing. And that's the overriding principle. And, and now I'm going to quit introducing I'm fixing to preach it, okay? But, uh, but let me just leave you one more thing to remind you. You just remember, we have read the back of the book. And we know how this ends. But at this point, Joseph has no idea what is coming just around the bend. Look at Joseph here. Let's look at him. Does God have a purpose for his life? Well, I'll tell you something. If you look at Joseph's dysfunctional family, you'd have to say, oh, the Lord can't use him. Look at, look at this. Let's look at that first. Joseph's dysfunctional family. His father favored him. Now look, let's read verses 1 through 4. And Jacob dwelled in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha and his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Notice this dysfunction in this family. His father favored him. Now Jacob, his father, had problems himself. Jacob, the very name, means conniver or, or, or a deceiver. And Jacob was a deceiver and a conniver. He became a prince, Israel. He became a prince of God. But he started out as a crook and a conniving uh, uh, person out there trying to make his own way and cheat people and cheated his brother out of his inheritance and cheated his uncle out of some things. But the Lord again was with him. Now, J Jacob had four wives which is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> That's nothing against you ladies. But you think about, think about it from your standpoint, ladies. What if you had four husbands? Seriously, think about the fact that it has nothing to do with men and women. It has to do with sinners living together as husband and wife. We're, we're sinners, right? Do you know how hard it is for me to put up with Sherry? <laughs> but you know how much harder it is for her to put up with me? <laughs> Seriously, we, we love each other with, with unconditional love, but there are days when I am so hard to deal with. Jacob had four wives. And you know the story. I don't have time to get into the whole story, but you know how it happened. He, was, he loved Rachel. 
He wanted Rachel. And he said, I worked seven years for Rachel. And when it came time, the seven years were up, they tricked him into marrying Leah, the older sister. And she, she was apparently not as easy to get along with and not as easy on the eyes. And, you know, he just, he, he never did care for her like he cared for Rachel. And he ended up working seven more years for Rachel. And by the way, Rachel being his favorite, is it any wonder that her son, Joseph, which was her first child, that he was the favorite too. That sort of makes, gives you a little more understanding, I suppose, of why, why things are as they are. I'm not justifying it because it's wrong, but at least we can understand what's going on here. There was some jealousy. There was some uh, jockeying for position among those wives. But listen, Jacob laid the foundation for dysfunction. Let me just say to you, beloved, we know this. I don't have to tell you. If you have multiple children and you favor one over the other, you're you're just implementing the recipe for disaster because I'm thankful God didn't love one of y'all more than he loved me, even though he should. He ought to. But he loves us all the same, you see. His father favored him and laid the groundwork for the problems. His brothers hated him. His brothers hated him. Look at these in, in verse 2 here. It tells us he was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, out there tending the flocks. The sons of Bilhah were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah were Gad and Asher. Now, we don't know what evil things they were doing, but it says he brought an evil report to his father. We don't know exactly what was happening, but we know that Joseph went and told on him. He tattled, okay? This, this young whippersnapper, this 17-year-old who was their younger brother, didn't know beans about the family business. He goes and tells on them, but they were apparently doing something wrong. I'll come back to that in just a minute. But I want you to notice that it says... Uh, when that happened, and then in verse 4, when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. This was not a well-adjusted, happy young man. He was in a family that was filled with dysfunction. They couldn't get along. The mothers, their mothers couldn't get along. They were constantly jealous and, and, and taken, uh, trying to win the favor of his father and he was the favorite child he was the one that uh that got the coat of many colors <laughs> the, the father made him something and gave it to him to make him not only did it did they know it but anybody who came upon them if all 12 of them were together they would see oh oh uh dan over here wearing old brown looking you know uh, robe and old Naphtali over there with some kind of raggedy clothing on and then you see Joseph with this coat of many colors boy he must be better than them he must be a standout boy their father loves them, him better than he does anybody else they hated him and they couldn't even speak to him peaceably you ever been there I've, I've been there where people somebody I've been friends with or have at least been an acquaintance with now they can't even talk to me they won't even, when they say, you can't even say hello. You can't even just either look away or when they do it, they say it in a real nasty, uh, uh, sarcastic way. You know, that's a bad place to be. This young man is in a dysfunctional family. But now listen, he's not perfect. I know he's a type of Christ, but I told you when we started, we're not going to deal with that. 
There's many ways in which he's a type of Christ. Maybe the Lord will lead me to preach on that sometime. I don't want us to think of him as a type of Christ right now. I I want us to think of him as a type of us. I want us to think of him as a man, a young man, a 17-year-old. If you're 17 years old here today or, or somewhere around that age, think of you can identify with Joseph. He wasn't perfect. His, his, his father favored him. His brothers hated him. And his indiscretion doomed him. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, I don't want to go beyond the text, okay? But the word evil report in verse 2 carries the idea of slander or defamation, okay? Something, in other words, that slanted toward Joseph and against his brothers. He went and told on them, and, and it was characterized, based on studying that word there, it was characterized, this evil report, as some kind of slander. Not saying it wasn't true, but not saying maybe it was a little, you know, if you ever, you ever just, just the facts, ma'am, right? Uh, just the facts, always, you know, we've always said when I was in, prosecution brother bob will remember this i'm sure too you know there was his story there was her story and there was the truth (laughs) somewhere in the middle okay that's usually the way it is and it's not always because somebody's lying it's often just because of their perceptions and filtering it through their understanding and that sort of thing but whatever it was he went and told on them and it was slanted toward him and against them and i want to tell you they hated him They hated him for it. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 11 says, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. You reckon Joseph should have listened to that and used some discretion and maybe said, You know, instead of getting mad about it going and telling daddy, I'm just going to pass over it. See, discretion is counsel and prudence, the idea of thinking or speaking before you act. Turn back, let's let's look over to another passage here in Proverbs chapter 2, okay? Proverbs chapter 2, just close to where we were before. Listen to this. In verse, uh, verse 10, When wisdom entereth into thine heart, and knowledge is pleasant unto thy soul, discretion shall preserve thee understanding shall keep thee. See, discretion's a good thing. Did you know you don't have to tell everything you know? <laughs> you, don't have to tell, you don't have to go tattling about everything that happens. You know, my kids, I had four. You know how that is. If you had multiple children in the home, daddy, so-and-so did this. Mama, so-and-so did that, you know? And, and, and that's just something you got to teach your kids. You don't always, sometimes you need to work it out, Okay. Discretion shall preserve thee. In this family, Joseph was the tattletale, apparently. And notice, notice what discretion preserves you from. Verse 12, to deliver thee from the way of the evil man, from the man that speaketh forward things, who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice to do evil and delight in the forwardness of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and they forward in their paths. In other words, he might could have delivered himself by using some discretion and not going and tattling on his brothers who clearly had a wicked bent to them and ultimately were going to do harm to him. Now, Joseph, no doubt, is in a dysfunctional family. And then Joseph has some divisive dreams. 
He has some divisive dreams. Now, ultimately, we know these dreams are from God. Look at verse 5. Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren. Keep that thought. (laughs) We'll come back to that. And they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. In other words, my sheaf stood upright, yours bowed down to it. And his brethren said to him, you might say, well, duh, this is kind of the way I might feel too. Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. Now, we know that those dreams were ultimately from God. But none of them knew that at this point. I, I think Joseph believed that. I think he believed the dream was from God. But you know, here again, we just talked about discretion or lack thereof. Is it the best thing for me to come to church and say, hey guys, I had a dream. God put me on top. And y'all all going to bow down to me. You know, is there a little pride going on there? Is there a little bit of a, certainly a lack of discretion going and telling them immediately instead of pondering these things in his heart, okay? And, and you got to realize that Joseph was not oblivious to the dysfunction in his family. They hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. It wasn't that they were hiding it, they were telling him. He knew this. He said... Let me tell you about my dream. You know, that kind of thing. I I don't know that he actually went. I may be taking it a little too far in the text, but but wouldn't you be tempted to do that? I would. If I knew God was about to elevate me, I want somebody to know it, you know. I want y'all to know it so you can be getting used to bowing down to me, see. And that's kind of the way he, he was doing it. Now, the idea I believe here is similar to speaking the truth but not in love. Speaking the truth. What did Paul say? Speaking the truth in love will be built up. You see, if I got up here and told you the truth, but I said, I hate y'all and I'm going to tell you the truth. You're not even going to listen to anything else, are you? But if I get up here and say, I love you. And that's why I'm telling you the truth. And you know, I love you. Then you're going to listen to me. They weren't going to listen to Joseph. He's going and, and blabbing in a sense about this dream. And we have no indication that God told him to tell. Proverbs 10, 19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Joseph probably should have kept the dream to himself, is what I'm saying. And he certainly shouldn't have told the second one once he saw how his brothers fell. You know, he got the second dream. It says, uh, he dreamed, verse 9, yet another dream and told it his brethren. And said, Behold, I've dreamed a dream more. Y'all think that one was bad? Listen to this one. (laughs) And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. In other words, not just y'all, but mom and daddy. They're going to bow down too. He told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him. (laughs) His father, even his father said, what are you doing? What are you telling us this for? He said unto him, what is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee? Uh, down to thee to the earth and his brethren envied him but notice it says but his father observed the saying kind of reminds you of what Mary did she kept all these sayings and pondered them in her heart I think Joseph I think Jacob kind of figured out something's going on here 
Something's going on here. It may be of the Lord, but still, okay, probably Joseph should have kept his dreams sort of to himself and humbly sought the guidance maybe of his father alone. I don't know. And, I, and, and let me just also say this. I don't want to come down too hard on Joseph because remember something else about Joseph here. Even though his motives may have been not just right and he may have done some things with indiscretion that he shouldn't have, all ultimately he was doing was telling them the truth. All he ultimately did was say, this is what God has said. And you know, regardless of whether he should or he should not, or should not have told, the truth divides. The truth divides. You remember what Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 10? Listen to this. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Think not that I'm come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we just all love one another? If you believe this, but I believe something different, your truth is as good as my truth. My truth is as good as your truth. That's what the world tells us, isn't it? That's not true. That's not true. One plus one equals two. It never equals three. Okay? One plus two equals three. One plus three equals four, you know, so forth. That is a fact, and you can't change that. You see, the truth is not malleable. It's not, it's not relative. And Jesus said that. Listen, I love my children, and I want you to love one another, but don't think that it's always going to be easy. Don't think you're always going to be able to get along. Don't think you're always going to just you know, hold hands and sing kumbaya, you know? There's going to be problems in life. He said, I've come to send a peace, not peace, but a sword, for I've come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. So are there things Joseph could have done differently that might have made his, his life a little easier? Absolutely. But remember it, when it's all said and done, he just told the truth. Okay? He just told the truth. And it says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So if it comes down to it and you have to choose God over your family, you better choose God. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, that's all that matters in this life. And he's got problems here. They were, these dreams divided him. Okay? Division is sometimes inevitable. These dreams divided him from his family. And it seems from studying Joseph's future as we go through this that we'll see that Joseph really was most of the time trying to do his best to serve his God. <clears throat> from this point, we begin to read about Joseph's devastating journey. It's a downward spiral. Things are getting bad. They're not looking good. Verses 12 through 14 tell the story of his brethren going to feed their father's flocks in Shechem and Jacob sending Joseph to check on them. Verse 15 tells, and through um, verses 17 tell us about Joseph going to find them and he, they're not where they're supposed to be. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Perhaps that's part of what he was telling on them about back in verse 2. 
said they're down in Dothan. Verse 18 and 19 give us a famous passage here. It says, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, behold, this dreamer cometh. And they didn't say that in a positive way. There'll be a time when the fact that he's a dreamer will make a big difference and will gain him respect, but not here, not among his own family and among his own kindred. And they say in verse 20, Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. <laughs> Joseph's journey is about to begin. His roller coaster is about to start right here. See, his family misunderstood him. They didn't believe his dreams. Even his father rebuked him. Now his brothers are going to betray him. And if you continue to read, you'll see how they, they took him and they, they stripped him of his coat and they threw him into a pit, which was like a well without water there. And it, it was probably an old dried up well is probably what it was. And they sat down to eat bread. <laughs> they, uh, they, they, he, had to, he was trying to serve God. He was trying to uh, fulfill these dreams. And, and he's about to go check on them. All he's doing is doing what his father said. And they grab him and they assault him and they throw him in a pit. They betrayed him. Now, I want you to make no mistake about this. Notice in verse 24. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. Now, you don't have to turn there, but if you'll look sometime to Genesis chapter 42 and verse 21, when they began to talk to one another in Egypt in front of Joseph, and he, couldn't, he could understand them, but they didn't know it. Listen to what they say here, 42 and verse 21. They said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Make no mistake, Joseph cried out for help. This wasn't some clean little story where they knocked him in the head and, and he was unconscious and they nicely and cleanly walked away from him. They sat down to eat, no doubt, while he was screaming for help in the bottom of that pit. How callous is that? And then they not only profit, betrayed him, but they profited from their brother's anguish. It says there, as they're continue, we continue reading verse 25, they lifted up their eyes and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead. And, and he goes on to Judah in verse 26. It says, what profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. If you look back up a little farther, verse 21, you'll notice that Reuben tried to help him. Reuben didn't want to kill him. And he was trying to go along, kind of to get along, and he was going to come back and help him. Judah decided to sell him. Reuben was compassionate, but Judah was not being compassionate. He was saying, hey, we can profit from this a little bit. He was just cruel. Now, let me just say this. Keep Judah in mind, all right? We're going to come back to Judah in about 20 some odd years. We're going to come back to Judah. And it gives me. It almost brings me to tears. Every time I think about. What Judah is going to do. And what he's going to say. 20 something years from now. He says right now. Sell him. I'm tired of him. Let's make some money off of him. There's going to come a time. When Judah is going to say. Listen. Let my brothers go free. And take me. 
Judah's going to have a change of heart somewhere down the road. But for now, Judah is right in there with him. And notice in verses 31 what they did. Oh, how terrible. 31 through 35. They took of Joseph's coat. They killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. They sent the coat of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. You notice they didn't directly lie. I mean, they lied about the coat, but they didn't say, hey, you know, he's, he's dead or he's, they kidnapped him. They didn't even make up a lie. They just said, let's let him come to his own conclusions. And notice what happened. It says, he knew it and said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. How callous must you be to stand by while your father is almost dying of grief. How, how hard-hearted must you be to be like those brothers standing there, knowing the truth and perpetuating the lie that causes their father so much grief. We're going to see in, later in the story that all of them have a little change of heart. But I want you to understand as we bring this to a close, notice where Joseph is. He's come from this dysfunctional family. He's had these divisive dreams and now he's on this journey. And as we bring this to a close, it says the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. There's some lessons from this message that I hope you get. First of all, just remember that when you try to serve God, enemies are going to arise. You're going to have problems uh, Jesus said in John 16, 33, he said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Peter told those strangers scattered abroad, he said, don't find it strange concerning the fiery trial that shall try you. Just don't be persecuted for doing evil. Just make sure your persecution is for being good. You're being prosecuted for doing evil. You're being persecuted for doing good, you see. When you try to serve God, there's going to be opposition. But secondly, what about this? When God is for you, who can be against you? When God is on your side, what does it matter what the world does? Genesis 50 and verse 20 he says, ye meant it unto me for evil, but God meant it unto good. Now, not talking about orchestrating all these things or, or, or all the wicked things men did. He's talking about the dream God sent, that God sent the dream and God intended that for evil. That was the plan and purpose for Joseph's life and God meant it for good. And let me tell you something. God knew all about the dysfunction. He knew all about the betrayal. He knew all about the jealousy and the conspiracy and the slavery and the prison. He knew all about Potiphar's wife. He knew all about everything that was going to come Joseph's way. Why? Because he is a big God. And nothing takes him by surprise. 
So now we've found Joseph in a pit in Dothan. And we know that he's going to end up on a throne in Egypt. As we leave him here, he is a slave. He's not some kind of Pharaoh. He's just a little slave boy. And remember, Joseph had no idea what was coming next. He had no idea. All Joseph knows at the end of chapter 37 is, I'm a slave in a strange, I'm a stranger and a slave in a strange land. And all I got to do, all I have of any hope at all is to trust God. So Joseph, Joseph, how big is your God? How big is your God, Joseph? Is he big enough to overcome the wicked devices of men and providentially guide and protect you? Is he big enough for you to be faithful to him, believing that he has got you with his everlasting arms? Is he big enough to providentially provide guidance and care for you to help you to get to the place where he wants you to be? Joseph, can you possibly be of any service to the kingdom of God coming from such a dysfunctional family? Isn't that just a great excuse? I, preacher, you don't know what my family was like. You don't know how, how divided we were, how much trouble we had, how many problems we had. Is Joseph's God big enough for Joseph to serve this God? And trust Him to take care of Him. Stay tuned. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.